Okay. So last week, thank you. Um, last week we were looking at these Rashi's, some of which seemed a little surprising in their placement or their contents, um, either because of the style of the Rashi or just where it was in the paragraph. So I'm going to uh, continue a little bit of that before we go on, which is, um, as you may recall, we read all the Rashi's at the beginning. There's <laughs> so many different noises in here right now. <laughs> that Rashi also quoted a principle that he learned from Rabbi Moshe Hadarshan. He says, I copied down from the teachings of Rabbi Moshe Hadarshan. Why is the parsha of the gatherer of the wood next to the prohibition of Avodazara or avoiding Avodazara? <laughs> this was the man who collected wood on Shabbos and was high of Misa to teach us that one who is Mechalal Shabbos, it's like one who does Avodazara. Because both of these mitzvahs, or, or this mitzvah, also is equal to all the mitzvahs. That in some way, this mitzvah is like all the other mitzvahs. And we we did make a reference last week to that Ramban at the end of Parshas Bo, where the Ramban talks about the way that um, certain mitzvahs, in particular Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, will like refer to sort of all the other mitzvahs by being a principle that demonstrates that there is a Hashem, or that Hashem is the creator of the world, that Hashem is paying attention to the world, that he cares about what we're doing. Um, as it says in Ezra, that Hashem gave us all these mitzvos and Shabbos. So this is true also, says Rashi, about the Parsha of Tzitzis. With no further explanation, exactly. Therefore, they are put next to each other. That also this is weight, is the same weight as all the other mitzvos, is equal to all the other mitzvos. As it says, you shall do all the mitzvos. So just like Shabbos is compared to all the mitzvos, is sort of weighted. Over here, where it says that tzitzis could lead you to do all the mitzvos, that would also be similar to Shabbos. Um, the Sifse Chachamim, which is a collection of commentaries on Rashi, I think pretty much, well, no, from various places, um, says this comment, which I found a helpful way to try and understand because it's a little vague exactly what the comparison is mm -hmm. in the Rashi without knowing more about it. Rashi is always very rigorous about comparisons and things. You know, sometimes people will say, well, this is like all the mitzvahs, and that's like all the mitzvahs. And he's like, yeah, but hang on. <laughs> Even if I don't understand how it's like all the mitzvahs, maybe I can understand that they are like that in the same way. But I don't see that right here. So Sifse Chachamim says, the understanding of this is in accordance with Rashi's explanation in Chulin. Meaning if you had seen in the Gemara and Chulin how Rashi explained something over there, then you would understand how he was coming over here, where he says that Ha'oved avodas elilim, that one who worships idols, kofer behakadosh baruchu, is denying there is a God. They're denying God. Not that there is a God. He's denying God. He's saying, I'm, I'm worshiping some other power. So that's a denial of God. Now, this is quoting Rashi elsewhere. 
I guess it's always at this time of day that someone's using whatever it is that makes that noise <laughs> on Wednesdays. Shabbos, and one who violates the Shabbos, who profanes the Shabbos, kofer b'ma'asav, denies God's deeds. Because Shabbos is a testimony that Hashem created the world. Right? Six days he created the world, and on the seventh day he rested. So if somebody violates the Shabbos, they are denying Hashem's actions. One who does Avodah is denying Hashem altogether. Umeid Sheker, one who violates the Shabbos, who, who profanes the Shabbos would be a better word, not violates. Mm-hmm. One who profanes the Shabbos is giving a false testimony. It's as if he's testifying that Hashem did not rest on Shabbos. <laughs> right? It's the, if, if resting on Shabbos, if keeping Shabbos testifies that Hashem rested on Shabbos, Kishesh Yamim, right? God rested. Then, not keeping Shabbos, violating the Shabbos, profaning the Shabbos, is as if the person's actions testify the opposite. And this is what the Tosfos write also in Sanhedrin. Okay. I think there's a way that we can think about this based on that. Sifse Chachamim gives us a direction. Just looking to see. Well, I, let, let, I'm going to build it off two other things. Because it, give, it does give us a clue. Let's say the first step of the clue over here that we have is that the direction to understanding why what's similar about this being like all the mitzvahs and that being like all the mitzvahs, even though apparently, okay, you could say, well, the fact that they're like all the mitzvahs, but the way that it's like all the mitzvahs is not the same. Because tzitzis is that you will do all the mitzvahs and Shabbos is sort of on a balanced scale, weighted like all the mitzvahs. Hashem gave you all the mitzvahs and all the chukim and all the mishpatim and Shabbos. So it's a different type of comparison to all the mitzvahs. And what Sifse Chachamim pointed us to was, it has to do with what it means if you don't do the mitzvah, if you violate the mitzvah. That in violating the mitzvah, you are making a statement of either kofir Hashem, denying Hashem altogether, or denying Hashem's deeds. So he, he kind of turned it inside out. He said, it's not that what's the same is the keeping of the mitzvah necessarily. You can see the similarity by looking at the meaning of not keeping the mitzvah. Okay. The next step is a kliyakar, where he explains about the tzitzis what does it mean you will keep tzitzis and you will do all the mitzvahs? And we gave many different explanations for what that would mean. We didn't happen to do this one, but we gave other explanations as to how the tzitzis would lead to other mitzvahs or remind you of all the mitzvahs or remind you of the kiseh hakavod, and through that you'll be inspired to do all the mitzvahs. Kleyakar says something different. Shekola mitzvahs nimshalu leveged. We can compare... All of the mitzvos to a garment. They are compared to a garment. Shenamar because there's a verse that says, um, at all times your clothing should be white, clean, pure. So what does that mean? It's not really saying that you always have to wear white clothes. Okay. 
Okay. It's a pretty too. Hey, I got someone else's one. It's <laughs> in the other room. Okay. At all times, your clothing should be white. It doesn't mean that there's a mitzvah to wear white clothing. It means your actions should be pure. You should be dressed in purity. What does that mean? It means that the mitzvos are clothing for the soul. Now, we, we actually didn't talk about that in this year, um, but I came across something very similar this year when I taught Malvi Sharumim, that God dresses <laughs> the naked. Um, but I didn't think to prepare to take those notes out for today. I'm sorry. I'm trying... Uh, I'm afraid I don't remember in whose name I saw it. I mean, clearly the Kliyakar is saying it over here, which is enough of a reference, but what I'm going to tell you was actually not from the Kliyakar. And the point was that we can think of our mitzvos as the clothing of the soul. Why is that helpful? So first of all, an idea that we've talked about many times, that we need to have um, two pieces as a foundation of understanding ourselves. The rock bottom foundation is Hashem, the soul that you have given me is pure. And we need to know that that is pure and untouchable and that we have a value simply in the fact that we exist. The fact that I am a neshama, that alone gives me a value. The fact that my neshama is in my body means there is something I can be doing but the value is there and it cannot be touched and I can never think, oh, I've done so many bad things, I'm worthless, Hashem won't love me anymore. It's not true because I have inside of me a neshama that is tehora, that I can always know that's the safety net, that is the rock bottom of the foundation of my, how I feel about myself is knowing that there always is a value to me. That when Hashem looks at me, he sees a neshama, and he sees a neshama that's beautiful. That is a reflection of his tzalem elokim, that's always in me. And yet at the same time we know we have to realize that our actions matter, and that our choices matter, and that it makes a difference what we do. We don't walk around saying, well, I'm so special and wonderful, therefore it doesn't really matter how I treat people, it doesn't really matter what I do because I still am the most special, wonderful, amazing person. So how do we balance these two ideas? And this explanation that we can think of, that is a Torah idea to think of our mitzvos as the clothing of the soul. The soul itself is not changed by its clothing. A person's not changed by our clothing. But when we see somebody, the more beautiful the clothing is, the more pleasant it is to look at them. Now, the fact is who they are is who they truly are anyway. So when you see somebody that you love, even if they happen to be, you know, their face is all smudged and their clothes have gotten torn, you're happy to see them. But there is an extra pleasure when you look at them and they look beautiful in their clothing as well. It's... Some, but it's added on. It didn't change the person, and yet it adds to what we see when we look at them. This is a very helpful mashal for the relationship between our, our, who we are inherently and the effect of our actions. That when Hashem looks at us, 
he sees our neshama and he sees something beautiful, he sees something he loves, but he sees it clothed in our actions. He does see our actions. He does see our mitzvos. That's the garments that we've created for the neshama, and that's what he sees when he looks at us. But he doesn't only see the clothing. He sees us in the clothing. Okay, so this is actually a very helpful idea. Back to the klayakar. All the mitzvos can be compared to a garment. Amnam yesh havdel b'nehem. But there is a difference. Ki stam beged arug davka min chutim harbe. Because a garment is made of material. And material is made of many, many, many threads. If you only happen to have one thread, you're more than, you are threadbare, right? You're not very well covered if all you have is a piece of string. Even though if I look very closely at the shirt I'm wearing, it's made of thousands of pieces of string, all crisscrossing back and forth, and now I'm covered in a shirt. But if I just had one of those strings on its own, right, it's a new definition of threadbare. You really have nothing, much. <laughs> I mean, you have something, but on its own, it doesn't add up to much. So it's not a garment. Not a garment. <laughs> but the clothing of the soul is a bit different. One thread is enough to, in fact, robe a whole soul. I suppose you could think of it that you could crochet it, and all of a sudden you take this one long thread. If it's long enough, yeah, it's you, can, you can weave it around and move it around itself, and you don't need many different threads. You just need to know what to do with the thread. Kiddarash Rabban Yochanan, Masechah Sanhedrin, as Rabbi Yochanan and Masechah Sanhedrin explains, Livlichok, one with no law, Lemi, Shaloshamar, Filuchok, Echad, Someone who has no law at all, it's someone who never kept even one law. In other words, if he had kept one law, it's talking about somebody um, who didn't keep any laws at all, then they would go to Gehenim. They'll, they'll suffer in Gehenim. But he says that's none at all. If he would have even one, he would be saved from Gehenim. First, would have even one mitzvah. It's pretty hard to imagine someone who had no mitzvahs at all, right? That's, that's pretty extreme. Tama Shaldavar, the reason for this thing. Lefishabris Krusa, because there is a covenant. Shemitzvah Goreris Mitzvah, which is interesting, I didn't know it was a covenant. This is a covenant that one mitzvah toes along another mitzvah. This is the Kliyakar. It is the very, very end of his explanation that starts with, under the words, Vaasulahem Tzitzis. They shall make for themselves Tzitzis. He. he over here, he has like a very, a long, it's like a series of long drushos, one after the other. And this is all the way at the end of it. One mitzvah toes along another. Okay, so maybe the comparison to crocheting or knitting is apt, right? Because it's not that you have a bunch of overlapping mitzvos, which is, I mean, really, that's the healthy, normal way to make a garment, right? You weave back and forth and you build a nice garment. But it is possible to take one mitzvah and have it come in a long linear line. As soon as a person does one mitzvah, all the mitzvos 
become in, within his potential to do them. As soon as you do one mitzvah, it becomes possible to do all the mitzvahs. Even though they haven't moved from the potential into the real, they haven't become kinetically activated, but the potential nonetheless is there, and there is some tangible reality to a mitzvah that is in your power to do it even though you haven't done it yet. So it's every mitzvah is linked together at the beginning and at the end, and therefore if you can just get a grip, this is also helpful in a, in a Musser sense, right? If a person is feeling like they just can't pick up, they just can't do what needs to be done, then we say a small step is appreciated, right? God appreciates something tiny. This is like a practical reasoning behind it. If I can just get my hands around one little thing, it may be that I'm holding one inch of a very, very, very long and heavy rope, but I got my hands on the rope. Now, theoretically, I can get the whole rope. I may not be strong enough to actually pick up the whole rope, but in theory, if I were to be strong enough, I've got the whole thing by holding a piece of it. This is, we can make it more exciting, this is the secret of the string of the tzacheles. Or we could be more mundane and say this is the foundation of the concept of the string of the tzacheles. The string of tzacheles which reminds us of all the mitzvos of Hashem. That with the chut of techeles, we can create a full and complete garment for the soul. And not be buried bare. Until we can be like Adam Harishon, Adam Harishon, who, who had only one mitzvah and was stripped bare of it. Right? So we will hang on to even one mitzvah so that we can go to the next world knowing we're clothed. There is another mitzvah. He says there is one other mitzvah who, that is able to remind us of all mitzvahs. That's interesting because we've been hearing, well, this is similar to Shabbos, which is also like all the other mitzvahs. But, but there's something specific about tzitzis, which is that it reminds you of all the other mitzvahs. Look at the tzitzis. So you want to speculate a little? Reminds us of all of them? One mitzvah that could remind you of all the other mitzvahs. And it's not Shabbos. <laughs> not Shabbos. Shabbos is equal to the other mitzvahs, but it's not reminding you of all the other mitzvahs. Right, but he says there's another one other than tzitzis. There's one other one. Kibbut Avayim. Kibbut Avayim is a good one, but it doesn't specifically remind us of all the other mitzvahs. That is, V'ahavta l'reyacha kamocha. Right? Isn't that great? Yes. Right? Because this is Klal Gadot and if you do that, then you'll eventually, have all the rest is commentary, right? Therefore, one thread can bring a person to, that's called techeles because just one thread of it can bring you to tachlis, to the goal, to the end goal. That's the lashon of techeles, and this is one of the deepest foundations of the Torah. Okay. 
it's not so different. If you think about you should love your friend like yourself, and there is a, a sort of deeper way of understanding that is not only referring to a human friend or colleague, but to Hashem. Right? The relationship between Hashem and the Jewish people sometimes in Shir Hashirim, for example, will describe Hashem the our, Hashem will describe the Jewish people as my beloved one, um, Rayasi, my friend. Okay, so Kamocha. One way of understanding that is, love Hashem as you would love yourself. In other words, you love Him so much, so then you want to do all these things for Him. You don't want to hurt Him. You want to do all His mitzvos, which in itself encapsulates the span from love Hashem your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, which is the beginning of Shema, all the way through to tzitzis, which you look at it and you remember that there's a kisei hakavod. Looking at the tzitzis reminds you back up to Hashem and of all the mitzvot. So they're kind of all wrapped together. <clears throat> I want to put another piece on top of this. There was the Rashi that said, let's see if I have it there. Why does the Torah mention Yitzias Mitzrayim in the middle of talking about Tzitzis? Rashi said, because I am God who distinguished in Egypt from the little droplet that was a firstborn sperm to the one that was not the firstborn. And I am Hashem who distinguishes and will punish one who hangs a string on a garment dyed with a vegetable dye that looks like tzitzis and says it is tzitzis. And that was sort of like, okay. Like, yeah, okay, we could see that. Hashem can tell even the smallest difference. But it still seemed a little bit odd. <laughs> An odd kind of commentary there. Why would somebody counterfeit Tchelis die? So we learned a little bit about Tchelis die. It only comes up very rarely. The snail only shows up very rarely. It's very expensive. It's very regal. Um, the tribe of Zavulun was going to have a certain amount of money because they had the access to the Chilazon, and therefore people would need them to do the mitzvah. So we can imagine, and this is based on the Torah Tamima, that a person would put, it's interesting the way he says it, he doesn't say a person would dye his own tzitzis this way, in order to look like he fits in, but really he didn't want to spend the money. He doesn't say that. It's almost like you would think that would be sort of an obvious one. Maybe that's because we live in Los Angeles, right, where <laughs> people may have no money and they may be living in a small motel room, but they're driving a very fancy car. You know, it's like maybe it says something, it says something about the culture I live in maybe that I, that that occurred to me. Yeah, that that occurred to you. Right, you have to have, or, yeah, exactly, or, and everything with the big brand on it. So that people should think that you, you know, like regardless of how much you spent on it, that you would want that. So I says, suppose it says something more about me and my society than it does about, but it says no, but a person would do it to earn money. Meaning a person who sells tzitzis could dye the tzitzis with this cheaper dye 
and sell it claiming that it is Chila's own day. That's something we can imagine. We're going to close the window at this point. That's something he says that could be. And Hashem knows, and Hashem will call him to judgment on that. Okay. I'm not, I'm not saying that by itself made it easier to understand, but if we think about it that way, then we could come back and think, what is the real horror? I mean, it's, it's something that would be really horrifying that you have to realize God will know. What's the real horror of counterfeit tzitzis or counterfeit tzitzis? It's that you want somebody else to think it's real tzitzis and it's not. But the point of tzitzis is that even the very smallest action matters. Right? Well, however you look at it, whether you look at it in the way we just talked about from the Kliakar, that it's one thread that pulls along all the others, which is what Sitzis does, right? You look at the Tzitzis, it pulls you all the way, all the thinking. Whether you think of it as the Tzitzis is this small thread in this world, but it reminds you all the way up to the deepest, most important things, right? It is a testimony in the way that... <coughs> Thank you. In the way that Shabbos is a testimony that Hashem created the world and rested on Shabbos. And a zecher of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is a testimony that Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim. And like the Ramban said, it's a pr- the Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is a proof that there is a God and that he created the world and that he still pays attention to the world and knows what goes on in it and cares and communicates with us. Right? All those things are proven in Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim and any mitzvah that's a zecher of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Tzitzis is a testimony that my actions in this world have large spiritual consequences and realities. That's what tzitzis, if you kind of boil it down, that's what it means. That's what the tcheles of the tzitzis means in particular, is that it's something very small here, but there's a very big physical reality. This is the tip of a very small iceberg, what I see in this world. But if somebody uses a counterfeit to Chelez die to fool other people, then what he's showing is that the only thing that matters is what other people think it is. He's denying that God is watching what he's doing and cares. Because all he's because his whole action is for the purpose of what does someone else think it is? And as long as they can be fooled, I don't care. I'm, I don't care that, I don't think that God is watching. If a person thought God was watching, they wouldn't do it. So it's the real horror of counterfeit tcheles is not just that you didn't do the mitzvah, like a bitul asay. Right? Nowadays, we don't have tcheles. We have a bitul asay. It's a mitzvah to wear tcheles, and you're not wearing tcheles. Right? So we might have thought, oh, well, if, if you sell phony treles tzitzes, so the person who wore it, Nebuch, they think they're doing the mitzvah, and they're not. They think they're doing the mitzvah of wearing treles, and they're really not doing it, so it's a bitzel ase. They lost the mitzvah. They thought they were doing Maybe they'll get credit for their good intentions, but they didn't actually do the mitzvah. But that's not really what's so terrible about fake treles. What's terrible about fake treles is it takes the mitzvah of tzitzis and, 
and distorts it and turns it inside out into saying exactly the opposite of what it's supposed to say. Okay. Which, in light of that Sivsei Chachamim, who said, in what way is Avodah Zarah and Chilul Shabbos the same? Because Avodah Zarah is a denial of Hashem, and Shabbos is a denial. It's an active denial, like a testimony of denial, that Hashem created the world and rested. Then fake tzitzis is also, it's not just that you missed out on a chance to do the mitzvah. A, a fake techeles is somebody being kofer in the principle of schar and onish, in the principle that there is a deeper spiritual world, that our actions matter and create a reality there. They create a garment there. I thought that was a helpful way of understanding a little bit better that idea. What does it mean that tzitzis is like Shabbos? Is like, you know, it's that they're all equal to all the mitzvos. It's the fact that by not doing that mitzvah, you undermine the whole principle of mitzvahs in these cases. Those people who think that they have the right... They're not pretending it's one thing and it's another. They're using a snail dye. Maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. What we saw was that so far it doesn't seem to be super convincing. I don't know. I saw something online that seemed to say different, but I'm not sure that the archaeologists who were working on it exactly like what special expertise they had to know. But um, whether they're right or wrong, they're honest about what they're giving you and why. And they have the belief that it is the right thing. They're they not, believe it's not, the right no thing, but they're also involved. telling you what it is. Right. They're, they're not fooling you and saying that it's something else. Mm -hmm. So, because it's exactly that, the fooling where the person is saying that what, all I care about is what people think, it doesn't matter what God thinks because that doesn't matter, right? If you believe that it mattered to what God was thinking, right? So it's exactly an undermining of the principle of all the mitzvos at all. Okay, so now I want to move on to the topic of Ani Hashem Elokeichem, I am Hashem, your God. Let's say the second Ani Hashem Elokeichem. <laughs> okay? So we had Ani Hashem Elokeichem, I am Hashem your God, Asher Hotzeisi Eschad Meyeretz Mitzrayim, who took you out of the land of Mitzrayim, or let's call it more this way, Lihiyos Lachem Lelokim, that's maybe more accurate for where we are now, to be to you a Lord, as a, a God, to be your Lord. I took you out of Mitzrayim to be your Lord, I am Hashem your Lord. What does that mean? First of all, if Hashem is our Lord anyway, then if, if it's Ani Hashem Elokeichem, which it says both before and after, then what's the principle of taking you out of Mitzrayim to be your Elokeim? If Hashem is your Elokeim. Okay. So this is a passage from the Derech Hashem of Ramchal, of Rav Moshe Chaim Lutzato. And I wanted to bring this to get a little bit of an understanding of this concept. Um, maybe, do you have a preference? Should I read it in Hebrew and in English, or just in English? How long is it? It's two pages, so it's not very short. Maybe both of them, then we'll understand. A little bit of both, okay. Well, I wouldn't just do it only in Hebrew. <laughs> okay. Um, actually, a little bit of it covered, so I'll start with English. He is talking about Shema. 
And he's talking about the idea of saying, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, and um, proclaiming that Hashem is the ultimate king and ruler of creation, above and below. We accept the yoke of his kingdom and subjugate ourselves to him. All of these things have the impact of fixing or rectifying all of creation. The organization of creation, the way it was established, has been organized such that when Hashem's dominion, when his malchus, his majesty, is made known and acknowledged by all of his creations, then all that he has created finds itself in a situation of koltov, everything good, and everything tranquil. Every kind of good and prosperity comes into the world through this. And blessing is increased in their midst, and their, the, their peace, their shalom, becomes greater and greater. But when the servants rebel, and they do not subjugate themselves, and they do not acknowledge, God forbid, God's majesty, then that, that state of koltov, of everything being good, is chaser, is lacking something. And the darkness strengthens, and evil becomes more powerful. This is similar to the idea we've talked about, that, that proclaiming God's majesty, whether with, with people it's through free will and through speech, proclaiming Hashem Melech, through other things that are created that don't have free will, it's through performing their function in the world as Hashem created them to do it. Um, this is the proclamation of God's majesty into the world, that is revelation of light into the world, which is bracha, which is all that is good. Okay, and this, God's ways are brought into the world through all parts of his creation, the higher levels, the lower levels, those that act on other things, those that are acted upon, as we have discussed earlier. I'm going to move to the English now just to get over to the next point. Ve'ula. Heos malchuso yisbarach nodas o lo nodas nimshach vadai mimaset hatachtonim. However, even though everything in creation, whether it acts upon or is receiving, whether it is up in the lofty spiritual worlds or down in the lower worlds, Everything is created to reveal God's majesty. Whether his majesty is known or not known, whether it is proclaimed or not proclaimed, whether it is recognized or not recognized, this depends upon the actions of man. That's a very important 
point. It is regardless of whether we notice or not. But the noticing of it, the proclamation of it, is what allows that blessing to flow into the world and become stronger and empowered. What is relevant now to what we are discussing? Whenever there is a reason for the Creator to manifest Himself in His kingdom and rule over the world, this results in great good and prosperity. There is an increase of holy, pure illumination together with everything good. And the forces of evil become humbled and subjugated so that they will not undermine the good of the world. Ve'imlo, and when, God forbid, it is not that way, that's what is known as God is hiding his face. Like with Purim, God says, I shall surely hide my face. And we don't see Hashem's name mentioned in Megillah Esther. Right? That this is a time of, of gullus and difficulty. When he does not reveal the power of his kingdom and majesty, then the powers that are what we would call powers of evil or bad um, can break forth and they can gain prominence and everything that stems out from that. And this is the source of everything that we see as bad in the world or evil in the world, is the hiding of God's face and the source of everything that we see as good in the world is his revelation. Vehine, biyos Yisrael mischazkim al When the Jewish people, each and every day, strengthen themselves in this, meaning whether God's majesty is being hidden or whether it's being revealed, every single day, Jewish people give ourselves strength and we strengthen ourselves. We accept God's majesty and we proclaim it and we are grateful for it. We announce it in our hearts and with our mouths. Right? Just one or the other doesn't quite do the trick when it comes to <laughs> saying Hashem is the king. We change the situation in the world. Because even if God's face is hidden, if we feel in our heart that, we, that Hashem is, can be seen in the world through his actions, through what happens in the world, his majesty is there, and we speak that out, then Hashem's majesty is revealed into the world through that action of feeling it and saying it. And this weakens the power of evil under the power of good. Now, it's not that there's a separate power of evil. It's that what we look, and we look in a newspaper, and we say, how can such people exist? How can such actions be allowed to happen in the world? How can people allow them to happen 
from other people? How can governments allow these things to go on? How can Hashem allow it to go on? That experience where we cannot see how Hashem is ruling the situation with good, that comes from a lack of being able to see that Hashem is the king. When we say it, sitting alone in our own room, in our own living room, and we say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, we reveal Hashem's majesty into the world. And in testifying that God is one and unique, as mentioned above, then the reaction to this is that God's plan is fulfilled and all of creation moves closer to a perfect state of good. Hang on. There's a reason I brought this here, other than being very powerful. Ramchal, Rav Moshe Chaim Mutzato, Derech Hashem. Now what we have to understand is that the world is rectified therefore, therefore by people, not by itself. That the tikkun of the world, the correction of the world, the bringing it about to a greater state of good, the, the proclamation is done through our recognition and acknowledgement and subjugation to Hashem's malchus. This is the way the world was created. Everything will ultimately result in perfection. But the root to that is through man's actions. And in bringing about perfection in the world, that is done by bringing about perfection in ourselves. And because those two things work together, a person can attain in this way the highest possible degree of perfection. And this is done by our fulfilling and translating into action what Hashem has arranged for the world. That by doing the mitzvos, we turn into action what Hashem has planned for the world's good. And in this way, we also simultaneously perfect ourselves. This is enhanced by the observance of the commandment to recite the Shema. When we bear witness to God's unity and the fact that everything depends on him, then Hashem avails himself to us. All of creation is perfected through his perfection. Existence is rectified through his real existence and provision of existence, which is Hashem. So why, why did I bring this here? Hello. Good morning. Leman Tizkaru. In order that you will remember, Vaasisem Eskol Mitzvosai, and do all of my mitzvos, says God. So we will do the mitzvos. Viyisem Kedoshim Lelokechem, and become holy to your God. Ani Hashem Elokechem. There is an outcome of our actions, of our saying Shema of our wearing tzitzis that proclaims that Hashem is the king. And an outcome is, now there is ani Hashem elokechem. There is a proclamation, I am Hashem your God. That becomes revealed. That is now spoken out in a way that it wasn't if we weren't doing the mitzvot. It would still be true, right? There's a Rashi kind of came and said like, 
it's not that Hashem, you know, that you could say, well, never mind, so I won't do the mitzvahs, I won't get the reward. No, no, no. Hashem says, I am your God, whether you like it or not, right? But Baal Korchechem. I'm your king. <laughs> I'm still your king. You could say that you vote out and you want to call yourself your own country in your own house, you know, like there's these people who do. That's not going to change the fact that I'm going to demand the taxes, right? You're still, you're still mine. But when we do proclaim that Hashem is king and we do announce it, now there is something that is revealed into the world, which is a state of Ani Hashem Elokechem. Asher Mitzrayim. Who, that I took you out of the land of Egypt, lios lochem lelokim, in order to be for you God, in order that you would see that I am Hashem for you, and that you would feel that I am your God. I was your God anyway. But when we came out of Mitzrayim, we realized oh, there's Hashem and he's our God. And when you get to that, then ani Hashem elokechem. Then there's a, there's a concept here, which I have another quote on this, but there's a concept here of Hashem saying let me put it this way Some, um, I was at a wedding last week and my brother was the Masader Kedushin and he, he knows a lot of people there it was someone from his community so sometimes I, I met a few people mostly, I didn't know most of the people there I happened to know Chas and Kawa and a few other people but I didn't know a lot of people so I introduced myself oh what's your name where do you live you know, I'm Rabbi Shaw's sister oh right because they didn't know me right my name doesn't mean anything to them it's a just a blank name but if it's a tat oh so that's like becomes the claim to fame right I'm Rabbi Shaw's sister never mind he's my little brother right but in that context who I am is not really the relevant thing or the known thing so my name then becomes you might say glorified right my my status then will depend on how they see my brother, right? Which in that context was very positive, so that was a nice thing to be reflected on. If I had gone somewhere and the people all knew some, I don't know, some horrible relative that I wouldn't want to be associated with, then I would just say, I'm Sarah Lippman. Yeah. I wouldn't be likely to say, I'm so-and-so's cousin, <laughs> if I thought that that was going to reflect badly on me. Hashem said, I took you out of Mitzrayim. Ani Hashem Elokechem. I am Hashem, your Elokim. When Hashem says that, he's putting our name on him. When we become kadosh to Hashem through our actions, when we proclaim Hashem as the Melech, then he proclaims introduces himself, so to speak, as being the God of, of us, us Jewish people. That's quite a remarkable thing. Okay. Rabbeinu Bachya. Ani Hashem Elokeichem asher hotzeisi eschem me'eretz mitzrayim liyos lochem lelokim, ani Hashem Elokeichem. Be'er kan, ki ha-hotza haisa kedei sheyiye lanu lelokim. So the Torah seems to be explaining here that God took us out of Egypt in order that he would be our God. That's what it sounds like it said. If so, first of all, Hashem is our God. So what does that mean? 
What purpose is being fulfilled? To be our God. Because he is our God. So how does taking us out change it? But he's, he's taking a different question right here. He's answering really two things, but it's a different question in the way he's phrasing it. Whose needs are fulfilled? If it said, I am Hashem your God who took you out of the land of Egypt, misivlos mitzrayim. There's a different pasuk like that. From the burden of Egypt. So the purpose of taking us out of Egypt in that pasuk is to save us from the suffering of the slavery. Whose purpose is being fulfilled if it's Asher Hotzeis Yischem Eretz Mitzrayim Lios Lachem Lilokim? Little hard to say. You could kind of read it either way, for your sake, so that I would be your God. But we don't really see that we were begging to have Hashem as our God at that stage. It's not clear that we had that grip on the God of our forefathers at that time. He says, According to this Pasuk, says Rabbein Bachia, what you see, Tzorach Hedyot means the need of the ordinary. Meaning, okay, you can have a Kohen who's a Kohen Hedyot. That means a regular Kohen. A Kohen Hedyot's a pretty special thing. Doesn't mean, right? And you can have a Kohen Gadol, a high Kohen. That's something very unique and special within the category. He's saying, this is a more Kabbalistic term, Tzorach Hedyot versus Tzorach Gavoa. Tzorach Gavoa would mean higher need. It doesn't mean higher need the way we use the term, because in English that means something different. But in other words, the one who's being served here is not only us. There is a purpose to God as well. Now that's a, a, a difficult subject to touch, number one, because we don't know what it means. And number two, because we can't suggest that God has a need, because God is complete and whole and one. So this, you know, this is something that, that's why it has its own special language. This is what Yehoshua said in Perak Zion. It's too bad we didn't know all these things when we were in Perak Zion. Yehoshua says to Hashem, when they lost the battle, and I, that first battle in I. He says, Our names will be cut off in the land, and what will be Hashem with your great name? If we come into the land which you promised us, and you said the Jews are coming, and everyone's afraid, and you killed even Sichon and Og, who were the most powerful world powers, and then this little city of I can beat us back. We will be in trouble, but even worse, what will be with your great name? If there's no nation, then the glory of the kingdom does not become known. Didn't Moshe say the same thing earlier when Hashem threatened to, to wipe out the Jewish people and start over with Moshe? He says, how's this going to look to you? You couldn't even... What will the, what, what will the Egyptians what will the, what will the say? say? Yeah, it could be it's a similar idea. Yeah. Yeah. This pasuk begins, I am Hashem your God, and ends, I am Hashem your God, to mean an olam hazeh and an olam haba. I am Hashem your God here, I am Hashem your God in olam haba. Another explanation. I am Hashem your God 
in the first Geula, the first redemption. That I took you out of the land of Egypt. This, by the way, is not so strange if you remember what we learned about the Hayaim Shamoa, right? It's talking, uh, it, the Torah says, in order that your days and the days of your children will be lengthened in the land which Hashem is giving to you. So he's speaking to the generation that's going into the, into the land of Israel. And yet he's also speaking to the end of days, to the final redemption, here as well. I am Hashem who took you out of the land of Egypt. I am Hashem Elokechem. I am Hashem, your God. In the final Geula, when all of the Gullus will be gathered back in, the ingathering of all exiles. We are promised here that Hashem's tangible presence will be revealed to us again when we are gathered together again. Which is an interesting point. I never would have thought you needed to have it said. But this is where it is indicated. That it's not just that Jewish people will come back to the land of Israel. Hashem promises as well that his Shechina will return as well to Israel. As happened when we were redeemed from Egypt, which is not true of the other Geulas. There's a, something common to coming out of Egypt and the final redemption, which is also the return of Shechina and the gathering together of all the Jewish people, which did not happen coming out of Bavel when there was no Shechina in the second temple. It's not one of the... Not everybody came back. Sorry? And not everybody came back. So these are they're the five things that were missing at that time. The, okay, we'll see if we can come to that. Um, we'll get to that on MS a little bit more. These are one of the five things that were missing in the second temple is that the Shechina was not present. As the verse says... I will be pleased with it and I will be honored. But the word honored is really missing ikavda, is missing a hey, because the second temple was missing a five. It was missing five miracles, five things, not only miracles, five things. Didn't have the Arun, didn't have the Shrina. There were things that were missing in the temple the second time around. This, it gets more complicated because we know there's also five missing vavs from Eliyahu Hanavi, right? This, this return, Hishra HaKasuv, the Pasuk draws a comparison of the final redemption to the first redemption. Mitzrayim and the final redemption. These are the words of the Navi, Yosif HaShem Shenis Yado. God will add again a second time his hand, meaning the mighty hand that he took us out of Egypt, that will come back again to redeem us the second time. Now this missing five, right? We have the five missing vavs that will only be returned by Yaakov to Eliyahu when he comes and announces the Geula. We have the five letters of the end of days, the final letters, the final mem, the final nun, the final tzaddik, the final fei, the final chaf, manzapach, letters. This is indicated as well, the letter of truth is the vav, meaning the five missing vavs. Vav is the letter of truth, Rav Tzadok says. So what do we add on? Ani Hashem Elokechem, and immediately we say MS. That's not, the word MS is not part of the Pasuk. It's a paraphrase to a different Pasuk. That's not today's topic. 
It's not part of this pasuk. And it's followed, emes, and there are 15 vavs following it. V'yatsi, v'nachon, v'kayam, v'yashar, v'neeman, v'ha'ahu, v'chavi, v'nechmat, v'naim, v'nora, v'adzeru, m'sukanu, m'kubo, v'to, v'yafeh. Okay, because this is, this is truth. But you have to know it's truth because you didn't see it. Because we're waiting for that return with the vavs. I think we have time for one more thing, and that will, that will bring us to the word emes. So technically, it concludes this piece of Shema when we do this piece. That will, but you can't leave off emes. Turns out, halachically, you can't leave it off. <laughs> and I think, anyway, we would feel terribly dissatisfied. That, talk about feeling that there's a missing piece. You know, we get on okay, we're not talking about emes. Be definitely a missing piece. And this is a piece from Rav Shimon Schwab. The repetition of this phrase, I am Hashem your God, Ani Hashem Elokechem, is of the essence here. There are two ways in which HaKadosh Baruch Hu relates to us. One way is that of Gilui Shechina, revelation of Shechina. The word Shechina comes from the word Shachin, a neighbor, someone who lives close to you. There were times in world history which will recur in the future in which HaKadosh Baruch Hu showed his presence in the world through miraculous events. Nisim, miracles, niflaos, wonders, nevuah, prophecy. The most outstanding example of this is the period of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, during which the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu was most clearly evident. This was the period of the greatest Gilui Shechina that ever existed, starting with the 10 plagues, followed by Kriyas Yamsuf, and the greatest level of Gilui Shechina in history, that of Matan Torah, during which HaKadosh Baruch Hu communicated directly with the Jewish people. We read this Pasuk last week in, in the Torah reading. Panim bifanim, face to face, Dibur Hashem Imochem, God spoke with you, Bahar mitoch esh, on the mountain from within fire, from amid the fire. It is this series of events to which the first part of the Pasuk refers. Now you remember we started Shema, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, Hashem Midas HaRachamim, Hashem Midas HaDin, Hashem Echad. This is all God. The first part of the Pasuk says, Ani Hashem Elokeichem Asher, Otesi Eschem Eretz Mitzrayim, Lios Lochem Lelokim. I am Hashem your God, who took you out of Egypt for the purpose of being your God. This purpose was fulfilled at Matan Torah. Because Hashem said, Anochi Hashem Elokeichem, I am Hashem your God. I took you out of the land of Egypt. So it's fulfilled. This Gilui Shechina to the Jewish people, on a reduced level, continued during the time in the Midbar and evidenced by many Nisim which occurred during this period. However, for most of world history, the relationship of HaKadosh Baruch Hu with the world has been the world following its natural order. The world in which we find ourselves today seems to follow a normal, natural order, and the presence of Hashem is veiled or hidden. The veiled relationship of Hashem is expressed as Yoshev Beseser Elyon Betzel Shokai Yislonan. He Most High dwells in secret. In the shadows does Hashem dwell. This is, you'd have to look harder to see him. Paraphrase this means the one on high dwells hidden in the shade. To be sure, the Shechina is very close to us. 
This is remarkable. I'm not sure I knew this was true. To be sure, the Shekhinah is very close to us, especially during learning of Torah or during tefillah. Certainly in a house dedicated solely for those purposes, meaning a base medrash or base knesses. But we are not aware of it because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is sitting in a secret in the shadows. This is a very interesting point. That it's not that the Shekhinah isn't with us. Not all, of course we know Hashem is with us. But the Shekhinah, the tangible, close revelation of God in the world is still present, but it's in the shadows. We don't see it, but it's there. And it is this latter relationship which is referred to by the repetition, Ani Hashem Elokeichem. Hashem is telling the Jewish people that the Gilui Shekhinah that they experienced at Yitzhiyaz Mitzrayim and Matan Torah will not last forever. Because remember, the people who heard this are still in the desert. They are to know that when they come to Eretz, it's not just still in the desert. These are the people who left Egypt. Because this paragraph is the end of Shalach. They just sent out the spies. They haven't all died yet. These are people who were in Egypt. They saw the darkness. They saw the revelation. They crossed the Yamsuf, and they stood at Har Sinai. They have to know that when they come to Eretz Yisrael, they will live a normal life during which the Shekhinah will be hidden. Therefore, Hashem ends the parsha by saying, Ani Hashem Elokeichem. Although you may not be aware of my presence in your future daily lives, nevertheless, I'm the same God who related to you through world-shaking nisim and niflos of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim and Matan Torah. I will continue to be Hashem Elokeichem under all circumstances of my management of the world. It's a very, very deep promise. It's, um, it's a very deep promise. And it is a, it is the promise, we, we talked two weeks ago about the idea of ne'emanos and emuna, right? Of those being two sides of the same experience, meaning when we recognize Hashem's ne'emanos, Hashem being faithful, Hashem being trustworthy, someone we count on, then we have emuna. We live in a way that knows that we can rely on him. You can think of saying, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, is our expression of the Emuna. And Ani Hashem Elokeichem, Hashem is, that's us announcing his majesty. Over here, he's announcing his majesty to us. That's his promise to us. We opened with, so to speak, our promise to him, our commitment to him. And we closed the Shema with his promise and commitment to us. Okay. Now there is a there's something striking here. Ani Hashem Elokeichem, Ani Hashem Elokeichem. There is a verse. Um, that's funny. I thought I looked it up. Yeah, it's in Yeshaya. Ani Ani Dibarti Af Kirasiv. This is a prophecy of Isaiah. So he's speaking now from as if God is the one speaking. Ani Ani. I, I, dibarti, I spoke, af kirasiv, and even called out or summoned. Okay. And he says, if you look at the grammar, and he bases this on the explanation of Rav Hirsch to this Pasuk, that what the Pasuk means is, I, 
the same I am the same one who spoke and the same one who calls out to you. Ani, ani. I am I. It is I. It is the same I. It is me. I, who you recognize through the Nisim and Niflos of Yetzias Mitzrayim and Matan Torah, it is I who call out to you, Ani Hashem Elokeichem, also in the dark. <clears throat> Every time you perform a mitzvah, you will hear my call. I am your God. I, we never said it in such a poetic way, right? We've, we've thought about this idea that every mitzvah is the voice of God speaking to us, telling us his will. But this is something, I am Hashem your God. Every time you perform a mitzvah, you hear me call you. I am Hashem your God. When Hashem, when Hashem speaks to us saying, Ani Hashem, I am Hashem. There is an, he's basing this on reverse. It is an expansion of his name, so to speak. Meaning the name yud Hey vav and Hey. this is God's name. This is the holiest name of God. Uh, in some ways more descriptive than the other names of God. Now, it doesn't only refer to his interaction with us, which is what most names of God are. They describe how he relates to us. But it also refers in some way to Hashem himself, as in he was, he is, he always will be. He is the creator. Um, Ani Hashem is an identity. Here's how he phrases it. I alone am the one, he says, personality. A living identity. Not an abstract concept, not a philosophy. I am the one whose absolutely free will controls every present and future moment of all existence in heaven and on earth. And the experience of Yetzias Mitzrayim and 40 years in the desert is to impress this knowledge of Ani Hashem on us. The revealed miracles help us to understand that there is a concept of Ani Hashem. But then we're going to go into the world of hiddenness and a life of not being able to, of Hashem's presence being veiled. And so the last words of Shema saying that I am veiling my presence, but I'm telling you it's still Ani Hashem Elokeichem. It's a garment, it's a shadow, it's a veil. It doesn't change what, what is in the darkness. It's just that you can't see it but it isn't changed, the last words of Shema then are a reaffirmation of the very beginning. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. The chasima me'en ha The closing is like the beginning. Which is a way of saying we have come to the goal that we set for ourselves in Shema. Followed immediately by the word emes, which we'll talk about next week, Emir Hashem. The Gemara in Bracho says, Amar Rabbi Abahu, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Halacha Karabi Yehuda, the Amar, Bain Elokechem le Emes Viyatsiv, Lo Yafsik. The Halacha is like Rabbi Abahu in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, and the Halacha is like Rabbi Yehuda, that between the word Elokechem, that last word in Shema, in the verse, and saying the paragraph Emes Viyatsiv, you should not stop, you should not interrupt at all, or even pause. This is interesting. I didn't really know the halachas, you just kind of do what they do in shul, you know? 
not even to say Omein. The reason the Gemara gives is that it corresponds to a Pasuk in Yirmiyahu, Va Hashem Elohim Emes. Hashem the Lord is Emes. So this kind of Ani Hashem Elokechem Emes, right, because Chazal don't want to make up a new statement, and yet they saw that the word Emes should follow, which we'll talk about more. But it now becomes similar to a different Pasuk, Hashem Elokim Emes. In other words, this matter we are affirming is absolute inviolable MS. This is absolute truth. This is what is underneath everything. This is the source of everything. This is the source of life, of everything in the world. It is unified. It is truth, what we've said, which I, I did not see this anywhere. This is now just me talking, but it seems that in saying MS here, we have come back around to it being us speaking. We took Hashem's promise to us, and the MS serves, uh, this I did see, I didn't make this piece up, the MS is in some ways also serves like an amen, meaning what I have just said is true, um, which allows us, even in remembering his promise to us, to make that a declaration of his majesty again, which is the whole purpose of Shema. So this concludes the actual verses of Shema. <laughs> You'll tell me when we started. I'm not sure. So next week, let's make a siyum. Is that good? Are you available next week? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay, so we will talk about the word MS, and we will have our siyum on Shema, and also really on Psuke de Zimra, because we did not make a siyum for Baruch Sha'amar. So it's really a, before launching into Shimon Asrei. <laughs> Very exciting.